Listener Production. Diving into the tiny, tiny world of nanotechnology. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing. Some things are so small, you can't look at them under a normal microscope. I'm talking about things at the nanoscale. Think red blood cells running through your veins. Scientists have some pretty incredible ideas about harnessing things this small. Where some of their ideas are realistic, for others, maybe not so much. This is the field of nanotechnology. Today, I chat to Cosmos Magazine journalist Ellen Fidian about the true power of nanotech and how on earth you even work with things this tiny. So Ellen, before we dive too deep into nanotech, I want to talk about the scale we're looking at here, and that's nanometers. Let's unpack exactly how big a nanometer is. It can be pretty tricky to visualize, I think, you know, anything smaller than a centimeter or a millimeter. So it could help to start by thinking of a ruler. Say your ruler is 30 centimeters long. Usually those centimeters are subdivided into millimeters. A millimeter, that's about the thickness of a ballpoint pen line. Mm -hmm. Now, a thousandth of a millimeter is a micrometer. We also call that a micron. Human hairs between about 50 and 100 micrometers thick. Red blood cells, human red blood cells, they're seven to eight microns wide. Then take that micrometer and divide that into a thousand units again. And that's where we get to nanometers. So that's when we're working on the nanoscale. So we've divided by a thousand a bunch of times. Exactly how small are we now? A nanometer is a billionth of a meter. When we're looking at the nanoscale, we're talking about things that are so small that an optical microscope doesn't see small enough. So normal microscopes that use visible light aren't good enough to see this stuff. You need a thing called an electron microscope, which uses these beams of electrons instead of beams of light because their wavelengths are much smaller. They're about a tenth of a nanometer. Nanometers, we're talking about the scale of molecules. So DNA molecules, they're about two nanometers wide. Most proteins are around about 10 nanometers, and a typical virus is about 100 nanometers long. Individual atoms, a bit smaller, they're typically between 0.1 and 0.5 nanometers in diameter. And so blow this out for us, Ellen. Why even look at nanometers? So the real hubbub is around what we can do with the nanometer level with nanotechnology. So nanotechnology is using science to build nanometer-sized tools. It's a relatively new field. It was super exciting about 10, 20 years ago. Lots of people kind of have these science fiction-esque ideas related to it. There was talk about how things like nanorobots were going to be swimming in our bloodstreams and nanomaterials were going to give us holograms and stuff. I remember all of this. <laughs> yes. Not all of this has happened, but we've definitely made some really big leaps forward in the last two decades. And a lot of it kind of sounds like blue sky stuff. But there's examples of nanotech in things that you are using pretty much every day and stuff you've already been exposed to. Like what, Ellen? Your smartphone, for instance. If you pull out the chip from your smartphone and look at it under a really good microscope, the smallest components are about 10 nanometers in size. These components are transistors, so they're tiny little switches made of silicon, basically. Computer chips can have many billions of components, and they're behind why you're using this like super fast computer in your pocket. So you've actually got nanotechnology in your hand. 
Another bit of nanotech that lots of us have already interacted with is in the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. So the nanotech behind this is the mRNA in the vaccines. That's the thing that goes into your blood and gets your cells to form immunity to COVID-19. Yeah. This mRNA is coated in a thing called a lipid nanoparticle. And these are these tiny globs of fat that keep the mRNA stable and get it into our cells so that it can do its job. And they're about 50 to 100 nanometers in size. There's a bunch of other stuff going on here too, particularly in the medical world. So nanomedicine. Okay. And I just presume that's what the name suggests it is. Pretty much exactly, yes. <laughs> um, it includes a really wide range of things, though. So there are things like nano patches. So these are like nanometer-sized needles, usually made of silicon, that can administer like really precise doses of medicine. Okay. There's also what we call multifunctional nanoparticles. These don't just put medications into the blood, but they could also have functions to do other things. Some of the things people have thought up over the years are nanorobots that can travel through your blood and perform a task like delivering a medicine to a specific part of the body or help track and diagnose cancers and other diseases. But beyond the medical, nanotech's also got a bunch of other applications in things like energy and sustainability. Okay, so walk us through how we can use nanotech when it comes to sustainability. So one big one that's drawing a lot of excitement at the moment is that nanotech plays a pretty big role in catalysis research, which is the basis of green hydrogen fuel, which is a really promising way to store and transport renewable energy. It also plays a really important role in developing new solar cells and getting energy from the sun. Nanotech can also be linked to reducing the amount of energy that goes into constructing and operating buildings. The construction industry emits a lot of greenhouse gas, and there's a lot of really good research around what we call nanomaterial composites. So these are solid materials made from a mixture of stuff, and some of those things, some or all of those things will be nanometer-sized. And we can use this for stuff like smart surfaces, sensor devices, green materials, things that make buildings more sustainable, basically. One example here is envelopes that could like wrap around a building and suck water and energy out of the atmosphere to sustain the building. What? Yeah, it's super cool. Another point on construction, this is a bit of an aside, is that a lot of nanotechnology research labs have to be made in a really specific way to allow for best practice and conditions while conducting research. Because you're working with things that are incredibly small and any disturbance can interfere with your research. So there's a building in Sydney called the Sydney Nano Institute that's been built into the side of a hill for this reason. Do you mean like a hobbit hole? <laughs> Possibly like a modern hobbit thing. So the building's been built into the side of the hill so that it's really stable and resilient to external forces. So any kind of mechanical vibrations, changes in temperature, humidity, air, all of those sorts of things. And that means that there isn't anything interfering with their experiments. And there's also no electromagnetic interference. Mm -hmm. Some labs have shields that prevent electromagnetic interference from stuff outside, particularly railways is a big problem. Oh, that's really interesting. Like, Surely if you've got a train, essentially you've got a lot of power, these big electric circuits, and then I guess metal that can kind of act as magnets and they're moving along and you've, you're just producing these huge electromagnetic fields that will just blow through everything. Yeah, yeah. It's a big problem. There's a similar building at Monash University in Melbourne, the sort of self-styled stabless building in the Southern Hemisphere. And they're kind of worried because the Victorian government's planning a new train in the area that's going to be in by the mid-2030s. And that train, like, is just big enough that it might mess around with their electron microscope readings. Heck, mate. <laughs> 
Ellen, even though we're a few decades deep when it comes to ideas or potential applications for nanotechnology, what are nanotech researchers looking at next? There's a lot of research looking into space, unsurprisingly. Aerospace and defence, both of those are really keen on nanotechnology, looking for things like stronger, lighter materials. That could mean like things like better hardware, sensors and radar on spaceborne applications. The other really cool trick with nanotech is that you often don't need very much of the substance you're using. So even if it's a very expensive thing, it's much cheaper. And that's kind of really exciting for a lot of people. So when it comes to the future of nanotech, I'd say we're still like often at the point where we haven't even really thought to look at these things at the nanoscale and much less like make changes and see what we can improve. So there's a lot of very cool discoveries ahead of us. Ellen Fidian is a science journalist for Cosmos Magazine. You can read more of Ellen's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. This episode also featured reporting by Cosmos Magazine journalist Evram Yaskin. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. Mixing by Dave Stein. And I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time. <laughs>